All right, well, good morning. You guys awake this morning? You ready to go? Good, all right, I'm excited. I just felt like you weren't responding to Adam. Maybe it's just him. Maybe it's the fact that he's a Dolphins fan. I don't know. Love you, brother. Uh, but I'm excited to be here. This morning when I was driving here, this is one of those mornings when, and I don't always feel this way, but this is one of those mornings where I feel like, man, it's a gift that I get to do this. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. And uh, I'm excited about this morning uh, because I feel like God has, has just laid a lot of groundwork on my heart in the topic that we are going to discuss this morning. So if you haven't been with us um, This series we're going through, Celebrate Recovery, we launched this ministry, Elanco Celebrate Recovery, just uh, a week and a half ago or so. Uh, God's been doing some amazing things through that. And if you're not familiar, that's, that's basically uh, people coming with hurts and habits and hang-ups and addictions and things that they want to get over and, and working through. And one of the things that I love about this series as a whole, this morning specifically, but the series as a whole, is that I feel like this particular series kind of levels the playing field for us a little bit. And here's how I feel that way. Because if you've been in church for 50 years and you've been following Jesus and you've been coming here for 50 years and, and you feel strong, you're still here this morning gathered with us because you want to grow in God's grace. You want to be further along in your faith than you were maybe the week before. And you're continually seeking after God, wanting to grow in your faith. Now, maybe you've only been in the church for like 15 minutes. And this is the first time you've ever been here, but you came here for a reason. And maybe you struggle with who Jesus is. You're not sure if God really exists, but you came because you want to experience something. You, you want to grow a little bit in your faith, and you're not even sure if you would call it faith, but you're kind of in that, like, ah, I'm not sure, I'm exploring. But you're all, we're all here at the same place. We want to grow in God's grace. We want to understand him better. We want to know him better. And so it kind of levels the playing field, whether you've been with him for a long time or whether this is you're just starting your journey. Um, this, this series, I love this series because it kind of does that for us. So let me go over where we've been if you haven't been with us. Uh, so you take the, the, the word recovery and you break it down like this. And, and this is something that we, we got from Rick Warren, who's a pastor out in California. Uh, So it's not original with us, but we've taken his thoughts and made them our own and broken them down a little bit differently than he has. Uh, But the R, uh, Pastor Adam talked about this week one, realize that I'm not God. The first step to recovery is that I am not God and I cannot fix myself. So that's the first step. Realize that I'm not God and know that he can do things that I cannot do. And the tendency is often for myself to try to take control And I have to hand control over to him. So we'll move on to the next one. Earnestly believe that God exists. It goes hand in hand with realizing that I'm not God. I have to realize that God exists. That there is a God who has created me. He cares about me. He's engaged and desires to have a relationship with me. The book of Hebrews, the writer in the book of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. If we don't believe that God exists, then we do things for our own benefit, for our own reasons. Maybe we're lifting ourselves up as God. We'd never say it that way, but maybe that's the, the possibility. Well, you have to believe and move in that direction, in God's direction. And then the last one, or the third one, consciously choose to commit all of my life to Christ's care and control. I have to say, all right, I believe that God exists. I realize I'm not God. I believe that God exists. And now I'm going to make a conscious effort to hand over control of my life to Jesus Christ, saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life more than I trust myself, and I want to follow you. And that moves us into the next one. Openly confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. This morning is about coming clean. This morning is about recognizing that there are things in my life that I tend to hide, I don't want to talk about, I'm not proud of. 
And if there is deceit in my heart and I, there are things that I am hiding, it's going to hinder my life. It's going to be detrimental to me. So coming clean. I would ask you this question. How many of you know that deceit is part of your DNA? Deceit is part of your DNA. And you might push back on that and say, well, what do you mean, Chris? Deceit? Like, I'm a dece- are you calling me a liar? Are you calling me a deceptive person? Well, the scriptures tell us, God tells us in his word, through the prophet Jeremiah, he says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. That's God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. The human heart, which each one of us has, because you're sitting in these seats and you're breathing. I don't see any one of you that is dead, all right? So you're all breathing, you have a human heart, and the human heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives, and I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. These are the very words of God. So all of us have deceit within us. The reason I know this, and you might not even believe that God exists, but you can maybe acknowledge this, because if you've ever been around a little person, right, a child, how did that child learn to be deceitful? Have you ever seen a child be deceitful? I have. I have six kids, and I've seen them. I've watched them. I've asked them questions. Hey, did you put that marker in your mouth? They have blue all in their mouth, right? Did you, did you put that marker? No, I didn't. Well, how did your mouth get blue? I don't know. Now, did I teach them that? At like two years old, did I teach them that? I've never met the parent that came up to a child and said, you know, if you get caught with something that you, you shouldn't have done, just lie about it. Just cover it up. It'll be okay. Right? I've never met that parent. If I met that parent, I would confront that parent, and you would too. You don't teach your children deceit, but you don't have to. And see, here's the worst thing about this. I didn't hand deceit down to my kids. I didn't teach them to be deceitful. It came from me. They inherited it from me, and I could do nothing to stop it because deceit dwells within my own heart, and I just handed it down to them. And I wish I could stop it, but I can't. Deceit dwells within all of us. It's there. This vein of deceit and cover-up runs so deep that you might not even be fully aware of it. And we see it all the time, don't we? In our culture, we've started asking this question. Hey, how you doing? In other words, hello, nice to meet you. But we ask this question, how you doing? And how do we respond 95% of the time? Good, right? I'm good. I'm all right. Yeah, things are fine, okay? Meanwhile, our marriage is falling apart. Our financial house is crumbling around us. We're putting things on the credit card because we don't have money to pay for it anymore. We're depressed. You're going through a depression, and somebody comes up to you, hey, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, things are good. And you're dying inside. Why do you do that? Why do we do that? Maybe we had the worst day of our life. Well, some of you will say, well, I just don't feel like getting into it with that person, right? Okay, fair enough. But the, real, the reality is that there is deceit within us, and it's not others. We're not only deceiving others, we're deceiving ourselves. I'm fine. I can fix this. Tomorrow will be better. And all the while we're dying inside because we can't tell anybody what's going on. The church has gotten a label People who are Christians are hypocrites. Why do we get that label? We might push back against it. We might say, that's not fair. We're not hypocrites. Well, 
Sometimes if the shoe fits, you have to wear it. And the reality is that label comes to the church because we say, hey, we're good. We're good. And the divorce rate within the church is 50% or more, just as high as the rest of the world. People in the church are struggling with depression, financial bankruptcy, and all of these things. And it's not just that. It's not just that those things are happening. The reality is we're not being honest about them happening. See, I'm not throwing stones at you this morning if you're in one of those categories. But the reality is be honest about where you are. Yeah, I'm depressed. Some mornings I wake up and I don't want to go through the rest of the day. If that's the reality, then say it. Don't cover it up. Don't try to hide it. So this morning is about coming clean, about talking to people that love ones, that know who you are and care about you. Come clean and talk to them about these things. And see, when we talk about coming clean, our mind runs to this stuff that we've done, right? Whether it's we've looked at the computer and we've, been, we've just fallen into pornography. Uh, maybe it's something deceptive, like we have a secret Facebook or Instagram account that we're not telling anybody about because we're doing things on there that we aren't proud of. That's what we think of, like, oh, I need to come clean because I have that alcohol problem that I don't want anybody to know about. Well, I would go even deeper than that. Do you have things in your mind that you're thinking about, insecurities, things that you're concerned about, things that, that continue to come back over and over again that you're like, ah, I'm uncomfortable with that thought. Why do I keep thinking about that? Why do I feel this way? Well, those are warning signs, right? When you're driving a car and you're driving down the road and there's big red light flashes that says the oil is low or empty. I don't know. Could be If it's empty, you're in real trouble, right? Pull the car over. Well, why does that light start flashing? Because the car recognizes there's a problem. Well, in life, if there are things in your life that you will not talk to others about, you can't bring yourself to talk to your spouse about it. I'd never dream of talking to her about that. That's the light on the dashboard flashing, saying, warning. And if you don't do something about it now, it's going to blow up in the near future. It's going to blow up in the near future if you don't do something about it now. My wife and I decided to do some remodeling in our home. We decided last November, we started this addition and some remodel around our house. If you have an old house and you're thinking about remodeling it, do not. Stop. Sell that old house to some other sucker and buy a new house. Okay? So anyway, we decided to remodel. It's, oh, this is going to be easy, all right? We just got to do this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, no problem, right? So we take our kitchen and we make it into our new living room. So we, we rip the kitchen out and we're making this new living room and we tear the, the old drywall off the ceiling uh, in that kitchen. And right above that is the bathroom. And guess what I found when I tore the drywall off the ceiling in my new living room? The floorboards under my bathroom are all wet. Now, did I have a desire to do a new floor in my bathroom too? No, I didn't. I didn't want to do that. But did I have to do it? Yes. Now, what I wanted to do was I wanted to take the drywall, put new drywall up there and forget about it, right? Just throw the new drywall up there. No big deal. But why couldn't I? Why did I have to fix the bathroom floor? Because in two months, we'd be sitting there in our nice new living room enjoying a show on TV, and then suddenly the drywall would fall down on our heads because it was soaked, right? 
Now, there's probably other things that would happen first, but you get the, the drift. This is what happens in life, though. Something starts going on in our lives, something that we're not proud of. And we're like, ah, just cover it up. Just throw the new drywall up there. It's no big deal. Well, eventually you get down the road and it becomes an even bigger deal. So my hope for us this morning is that we can come clean with these things. That we can confess and admit we have a problem and only God can fix it. I want to share with you in the scriptures. We're going to jump in here. For those of you who are concerned, we're getting into Psalm 32. I'm just setting it up. Psalm 32 is where we're going to be this morning. But I have to set the stage for all of us. For those of you who don't know, uh, who wrote this? Psalm 32 was written by a man named David. Now, in the church, if you went to Sunday school, maybe you remember something about David, maybe you don't. But David was a man after God's own heart, is what the scriptures say. God tells us David was a man after God's own heart. David is in the genealogy of Jesus, right? David, that's how important David is. David's like a champion of the faith. Well, David had some big problems in his life. Second Samuel, one of those problems comes out. So David is on the top of his palace. He's somewhere in his 30s probably. He's standing on this palace. He should not be there. Let me just throw this little nugget in for you. I won't charge you for this one. But he's standing on top of his palace and idle hands Maybe you've heard that before, idle hands of the devil's playground. It's a bad thing. David was supposed to be off at war with his army, but he decided, I'm going to stay back. So he's on top of his palace, walking around after his afternoon nap. The scripture actually says after his rest. So David's up there feeling all good, and he sees this woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. He doesn't know that yet. He sees her. He takes a liking to her. He sends one of his servants and says, hey, can you go get her? I'd like to meet her. She comes up, he sleeps with her, right? No intention of doing anything more than that. Sends her home. Scripture tells us he sends her home. It's over with, done with, nobody will ever find out. Well, Bathsheba sends message to the king. Hey, king, I'm pregnant. And my husband has been off to war for months. It's kind of a problem. So David realizes, oh, this is a big problem. Well, let me send for your husband, Uriah. Something that most of us probably don't understand that makes this story even more uh, complex or worse is that Uriah is one of David's closest friends. Uriah the Hittite is in the list of David's mighty warriors. Those guys who fought with David before he was the king and stood up with him when he was running from Saul, that was Uriah. And David has just betrayed his friend. And so he sends word to his friend and says, hey, come home. I want to see you. How's the the war going? Why don't you go home and be with Bathsheba, your wife? Well, Uriah is a man of integrity and says, well, the rest of the guys don't get a chance to do that. How, How could I? Far be it from me to go home and be with her when those guys are out there fighting. Uriah is a man of integrity, more integrity than David. So David now has a problem. So here's what he does. He says, well, i got to get rid of this problem. i got to cover this up. The deceit is continuing to get worse. So what he does with Uriah, and this is beyond my imagination, is he writes a letter that morning. And basically he's writing Uriah's death certificate. And he gives it to Uriah, seals it, gives it to Uriah, and says, give this to Joab, the leader of the army. So Uriah rides off with his death certificate in his hand, and he hands it 
to the leader of the army, Joab, and Joab follows the instructions that were in that letter, and the instructions in the letter were send Uriah into the center of the battle and then pull away from him, ultimately allowing him to die. Uriah dies. Bathsheba mourns for a while, and then David takes her in. Well, now he thinks that everything has been covered up. It's good, right? There's a few that might know something's not quite right, but he's covered it up. Well, Nathan comes to him because God is a God of his promise, of his word. And God says, surely your sins will find you out. You need to hear that. Surely your sins will find you out. You can't hide this stuff forever, right? So Nathan comes and God gives Nathan this word and Nathan comes to David and confronts him about what has happened. So David is exposed. Now he has a decision to make. He could kill Nathan. He has the power to do that. But he doesn't. He confesses his sin. He breaks down and says, I have sinned against God. And he confesses his sin. And after that, after that, and after he experiences the grace of God and God's forgiveness, he pens Psalm 32. So the reason I took you through that long road to get to this point is because you have to understand when he's writing Psalm 32, you have to understand the amount of deceit and deception and sin that was in this man's life when he writes Psalm 32. So let's look at it together. Psalm 32, which is going to be page 466 in those Bibles in the pews. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you. Uh, It's our gift uh, to you. So I want to look at the first five verses of Psalm 32 with you. Psalm 32, verse 1. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of your sight. Think who's speaking here. David's writing. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Now, if you're skeptical, you may sit there and say, wait a second. He writes in Psalm 32, verse 2, Yes, the joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. If anybody couldn't say that, it was David. How can David say, I lived in complete honesty, when he made this whole story up to, con- to cover up his sin? Right? And you might say, well, Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful. It's wicked. Well, what makes our heart right with God? It's acknowledging to God, God, I am broken. I agree with you that I am a sinner and all of my good works doesn't amount to anything in view of you in light of your righteousness. The only one who can make us right, the only one who can clear the record of guilt is Jesus Christ. God can help us walk with a record that's been cleared because he has taken the sin upon himself. He can clear us of guilt. So I no longer have to stand before you and try to hold up some kind of image or some kind of facade to make you think that I am something that I am not. It is not hypocritical to stand up and say, I am not perfect, but the one that I serve is. So you see the difference when you hide it and you say, I'm good done everything right, but there's sin in the background. You're being deceitful. 
There's deceit there. But when you come clean and you say, I am not perfect and I agree with God that I need salvation from him and him alone. I need my guilt to be taken away. And God is the only one who can take it away. And that's what David found. And the joy that he had. Why was he full of joy? We get excited when a guy kicks a 61-yard field goal to beat the Giants, right? That's exciting, okay? It is. It's exciting. It doesn't happen very often. But that's such a temporary joy. If that kicker misses a game-winning field goal this week, we'll be calling for the next guy in line. And we'll be all upset. And we'll complain about it. But the joy that lasts forever, not that temporary stuff, but the joy that lasts forever is the fact that my record's been made clear. All the sin that was in my life that's been in my life, all the deceit that's here, I can deal with that because I can come to God and say, God, I agree, and I need your mercy. Do you see how this levels the playing field? It doesn't matter if you've been here 50 years or five minutes. You step in and say, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. We're all on the same plane. We all, the only way we can be made right is through Jesus Christ. And that's what David has found, the joy that is before me because God has cleared my record. Well, let's look at verse 3 because we're talking about coming clean. So let's look at what happens when we don't come clean. David shares that. He says, when I refuse to confess my sin, I've been there before. I say that from personal experience. There have been times where I've been doing stuff that I knew I needed to confess and I wouldn't do it. And this is where I was. You have to acknowledge this. I refused to confess my sin. My body wasted away. The opportunity was there. God was there. He was waiting for me to confess my sin. But I refused. And I groaned all day long. Verse 4, day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat or the September heat if you've been around this month. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So here's what happens. Let me talk about guilt for a second. Because you think that you can hide this from people, and you refuse to confess it. You refuse to bring it into the light. But what happens is guilt starts to build in the background. There's pressure that's starting to build. And when guilt builds in the background, here's what it does. It destroys your confidence in who you are. If you're a man in the room or a woman in the room who's struggling with a sexual addiction or some kind of pornography or something like that, it will destroy your confidence. Your ability to lead, your ability to do a lot of things in your life will be hindered because of that sin. Because a lot of your energy in life is going into covering it up rather than just being free in who you are and who God's called you to be. So guilt destroys your confidence. Guilt damages my relationships. Any relationship where there are secrets, there are things that are being done that are being hidden behind the background and we can't come clean in them. And I'm not just talking about husband and wife. It will destroy the intimacy in that relationship. And see, when you use a word like intimacy, we always go to physical intimacy. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an intimacy that can exist between a father and a son, between a mother and a daughter, between a brother and a sister, or a sister and a sister. You name it. You have relationships like that where you have this tightness, this bond. Well, anytime the guilt starts to come in there and this lack of confession, this lack of ability to be honest with each other, what will naturally happen is those relationships will start to pull apart. 
And you might not even know why. You might not understand why. This happens to a lot of parents. Your children are starting to pull apart from you. Now, that's some, somewhat is natural. That's going to happen because they're growing up and they're becoming a man or woman who God has called them to be. And so there's a natural distance. But if there's something more in your relationship, like you feel like ah, something just isn't right, you're going to recognize it. And the reason you recognize it is because it starts to pull apart like this. You don't feel as close to that person anymore. You don't feel like they can share openly and honesty. Maybe they don't reach out to you like they did before. When you reach out to them, they're short and cold. And you can't put your finger on why or what it is, but there's something happening. Well, it's likely that there's something in the background that they're not telling you about. Relationships suffer when secrets are in them. Guilt damages my relationships. And the last one, guilt keeps me stuck in the past. Satan, in the book of Revelation, God calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Guilt will keep you stuck in the past. You're trying to come free from an alcohol problem. The enemy will remind you, you have a problem with alcohol. You need that bottle to get over that. You need those pills to get through this day. Hey, don't forget what you did last weekend. You're here this Sunday, but remember what you did last Sunday? That's what the enemy does. That's what guilt does, because you're trying to hide it. You're trying to put on a facade, right? And the enemy just keeps reminding you. It's not, it's not who God is. Guilt keeps me stuck in the past. So you jump down, and you get into this verse 3 and 4, and the body wastes away, and he's groaning all day long. For day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength was evaporating like water in the sun. I want to give you an illustration. What I would say is as you start to become a person who can come clean, you're letting the pressure out of the balloon. Or let me give you a better illustration to help you wake up. The first service like this. So how many of you are familiar with uh, what planking is? Okay, I got a couple people who know what planking is. All right. Planking is not the idea of walking off of a plank on a ship, like a pirate ship. All right. That's not what that is. Planking is... Uh, being able to hold up your body weight, right, with your forearms and basically your toes. And I'll give you an example here. So we, at my house, we got into this, like, uh, discussion of who could do it the longest. So it became like a, a competition, a planking competition. So you can, you can borrow that if you want this week. Go home and do that with your family. But when it comes to competition, especially challenges that involve physical stuff, the body, I'm like, I'm not losing this battle. This is, I'm going to win this. I don't care if, I, if my head explodes. I am not putting my legs down, right? So here's what planking is. Planking is this. And you get down on your forearms and your toes, and you stay in this position for as long as you can stay in this position, and you don't put your knees down. And the question is, how long could I do this? How long could I stay in this position? Well, the question I would ask you is, how long can you keep hiding? How long can you hold this? before it starts to show. Eventually, my voice is going to shake. My legs are already shaking, right? The sweat will start to come. So how long before people start to see the cracks, before people start to see it, right? And so my wife and I were beside each other, and I was looking like, all right, I can see it. She started to shake a little bit like she didn't want me to know that I saw it, but I saw it. And so I was like, she can't see it in me. Because like, if I just show that I'm not giving in, then it's going to break her spirit and she'll give up, right? So, so I won. And somebody asked me in the first service, I didn't say who won. And I was like, oh, no, I, I won, of course. But that's because I wasn't giving up. 
I'm the guy that if I went on Survivor, like I would pass out like before I would give up because that's just stubbornness in me. But this is not good when it comes to what's the secrets inside of us. How long can you hold that position before people start to see it? How long can you keep up the deception before the whole thing explodes or you have to put your knees down, right? But the illustration I want to pull out here is when I put my knees on the ground, the pressure is relieved like that. Oh, sure, I can feel it in my muscles. But that shaking and everything that's going on, the pressure is relieved at the minute you put your knees down. So let me challenge us to be people that put our knees on the ground and confess to God and say, God, I can't hold this up anymore. I can't hold this facade anymore. You, I got to let you know that I understand that you see it, but I'm confessing it to you today and I'm coming clean with this. I'm coming clean. Now, some of you will push in on this and say, Chris, there's a reason. There's a reason that you don't talk about these things. There's a reason that I can't come clean on this stuff. And the reason is, is because I'm going to hurt somebody or somebody's really, really going to be upset with me or I might lose my job or I might go to jail. I want to say that that's true. Depending what you're doing, there are serious consequences. If there's sin that is involved in a deep way that's hurting people, there will be serious consequences. I want to acknowledge that. I want to show you guys a clip from a a video um, that I saw this week. And this is a beautiful video of a person coming clean for the first time probably in their life about a problem that they have. And there's a great fear. And the way she's going to be responded to is the way that probably 8 out of 10 of us will be responded to if we come clean. So I want you to just see this video. Go ahead and play it and we'll talk about it. Well, that's, that's actually how I found out. Um, I, was, I was surprised that you didn't feel that you could come to me. You know, one of the kids asked me why I wasn't getting fat, and then another one asked me if I killed my baby, oh, and I just, I just froze. Oh, no, oh, my God. Well, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. That must have been very painful for you. Um, I feel awful. I know that this is a hard time, but you have to keep going. You have to be strong. I feel so awful. I can't keep doing this. I can't. You want to take a day off, a couple of days, maybe through the weekend? No, I need to be honest with you. Okay. Principal Barnes, I was never pregnant. But you, you vomited in class. I know. I lied. I lied. I lied to you. I lied to the class. I lied because I was scared. And um, when that happened, I panicked because oh my God, the truth is something that's really hard for me. Are you really sick? No. No. What is it? I'm an alcoholic. Uh, you're, you're an alcoholic? I'm an alcoholic, but I'm working on it. I'm, I'm doing the steps. And, um, 
It's just that when that happened that day, the night before, I had been out drinking and and I wasn't feeling too well. And so you you vomited in front of children uh, because you were hung hungover. Yes. And then you you lied to them and told them that you were pregnant. Well, one of the kids asked me if I was pregnant, and yes, it just it sort of fell out of my mouth. Oh. Naturally, of course. Well, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I, uh, I'm not, I, I don't even know what to say, Kate. I'm, uh, this is sickening. I'm extremely disappointed in you. I'm really sorry, and I've been wanting to tell you the truth for a very long time, okay? Because honesty is something that's really important to me now, and I am going to meetings, and I have a sponsor. Do you know what you've done? Do you realize how humiliating this is? What you've done is completely and utterly irresponsible. And I'm afraid that I can't have you here at the school any longer. So you see the response the principal gives there. She's coming clean. She's expressing... Uh, the reality of the truth, and the principal basically makes it about herself a little bit and says, you know how humiliating this is basically to me as the principal, to us as a school? And some of you are seeing, yeah, thinking, yeah, that's the right response. It's fair. And should Kate lose her job? Maybe, yeah. It's probably the right response. She probably should lose her job. But the reality is, the, the thing that we need to understand is, and what I want to understand or help us understand as a body of people is the reason that people don't come clear is because of fear of responses like that. We don't come clean because we're afraid that people are going to judge us, that people are going to, to rip us, to, to just pile it on us. That's why. That's one of the reasons why. And I want to just challenge us this morning with this. God's, what is God's response? Let's ask, what's God's response when somebody comes clean with a repentant heart? The sacrifice, this is David, again, Psalm 51, again penned after his uh, affair with Bathsheba. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject, God, a broken and repentant heart. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. If you are in that place and you come clean to God, God does not reject you. He moves in your direction. That's the whole point of the gospel. It's the whole reason why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus knew how ugly and dirty it was going to be. So my question for us as people is, are we a safe place for people to land? Are we a safe place when somebody comes and says, I've been struggling with alcohol or I'm having an affair? There's consequences, yes. Absolutely there's consequences. I'm not trying to negate that. I will tell you this, when I came clean with stuff that I was dealing with and I was truly broken and repentant, I welcomed the consequences because I knew they were there to help me. But when I was hiding and playing a game, I didn't want anything to do with consequences and they didn't matter anyway because they weren't enough to deter me. So we need to ask the question, are we a soft place to land? Parents, I would ask you this question. As a body, I ask us this. Have we been a soft place to land for people who are hurting. Parents, when your kids come to you and say, you know, I got tied up in this thing and I never thought I would and I didn't want to be here and I'm broken and I'm hurting and I know I messed things up, what's your response? Do you know how humiliating that is to us? Well, that's the last time I tell you anything, mom and dad. Or let's walk through this. This is going to hurt. There's going to be some things we've got to work out. 
Well, let's walk through this because I've experienced God's mercy and God's grace. I don't have time to get to it. There's a a great passage. I'll just show it to you. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And basically what God is telling uh, the church through Paul is don't forget that you too were broken, that you too ran after the lusts of the world and all these other things, that at one time you were chasing after those things, but it was the goodness and grace of God that impacted your life and changed you. Don't forget that when you interact with the world is basically what Paul is telling Titus. We don't have, to get in, have time to get in that. But what I want you to understand this morning is that We are not going through Celebrate Recovery to find projects to help people. We are the projects. You and I are the projects. God is working on us. God's working on me. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, God's not working on me, then you're in a bad place. I'm standing in front of you and saying, God is working on me. As I was putting this message together, God's working on me. He's, he's sanctifying us. That's a big word to say that he's changing us. He's molding us. So all of us are in this process together. So it doesn't matter if you're down at the bottom or way up top. God's still changing you because you are still not completely finished yet. It's an important message that we understand. I love a quote by one of my favorite pastors. His name is Mark Driscoll, and he says this, I'm just nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Every one of us should walk through life like that. I'm just nobody, but I'm trying to, just trying to tell everybody about somebody, and that somebody is Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has changed my life. Now, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, all right, Chris, I'm hearing what you're saying. I know there's stuff that I need to deal with. There's stuff in my life that I've been keeping secrets. There's deceit in my heart. What do I do? What do I do? Well, I don't have time to break down all the steps, but I put them in the bulletin there. If you open up, there's, some, there's five things that I would say, here's the road that you have to kind of walk to come clean, right? The first, and I'll just go through them real quick. Take personal inventory. There's scriptures beside each one of those. Take a personal inventory of your life and say, where are the areas there? I am not being honest and I'm trying to cover up. That's the first step. Ask God to help you with that, Psalm 139. Number two, accept responsibility. This one's huge. You want to blame it on everybody else. That's the temptation, right? We lose the football game because of the refs or our equipment failed us or whatever. You know, we fall into temptation and sin because of what's on the TV and terrible Hollywood or, you know, our parents, my mom messed me up. Stop. Just stop. Accept responsibility. I made the choice to do it and I need to own it. That's the first or second part of coming clean. So talk to God, accept responsibility. And then the third one, a big one, ask for forgiveness. Because God says that if we ask for forgiveness and we confess our sins, that he is righteous and he will forgive us. We can find forgiveness. We can go to the cross with boldness. We can go before the throne of God with boldness and ask for forgiveness. Number four, admit my faults to another person. Come to somebody you trust. Find somebody who's been in your corner, somebody who loves you, that will be with you, that will walk with you, that won't reject you because of what you've been going through, and confess it. Get it out there and have them help you walk this path to recovery. And the last one, and maybe the hardest, accept God's forgiveness and forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. Now forgive yourself. You have to let it go. You can't live in the past. You have to be able to forgive yourself and move on. There's a saying 
in Alcoholics Anonymous, it says this, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I got a quote from somebody this week talking about this very thing, and it says this. It's talking about deception. Addicts deceive others to cover up their addiction or deceive themselves in denying that they have a problem, which may explain why most of the sober alcoholics are so rigorously honest. You heard it in that video. That girl said, honesty is really important to me right now. Any return to the habit of deception, they believe risks reopening the door to drinking. You see, the problem is the deception. We've got to deal with that. And if we can start to come clean and be honest about that, there's other things. We'll get, done. we'll get there. Those things will get cleaned up, but we have to stop deceiving the people in our lives. We have to de- stop deceiving ourselves and come clean. So my encouragement for us, all of us, whether you're a teen with a private account, a treasurer who's stealing money from a non-for-profit, or a stay-at-home mom who's hiding a bottle of liquor somewhere in the house, The problem is deception. You need to become honest. You need to be honest. Get honest and deal with it. And know that God is for you. He loves you. And his grace is there. He does not reject a repentant heart. And can we be a people that walk together hand in hand. Saying we want to walk in grace and in recovery. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for exactly that. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for Jesus and the salvation that you have given us through him. I pray that you would help each person in this room, anyone who's just struggling with deceit, anyone who has fallen into those chains. Lord, I pray that you would set them free from that this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would come clean and that they would know that they can be made clean and right in you. Father, we give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. We will boast in nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Jesus' name, amen.